Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible study podcast for women. I'm your host, Amy Spreeman. Check out all the Bible studies at Naomi'sTable.com. Now here's teacher Beth Seifert with today's lesson in 2 Corinthians. So pull up a chair, open your Bibles, and let's begin. Welcome back to this study in the book of 2 Corinthians, ladies. Today we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. I've titled this lesson, Day 16, Necessary Defense. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your when your obedience is complete look at what is before your eyes if any one is confident that he is christ's let him remind himself that just as he is christ's so also are we for even if i boast a little too much of our authority which the lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you i will not be ashamed i do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters for they say His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us, to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves, as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So Paul switches gears here from encouraging the people to finish the collection they started for the glory of God and moves on to having to directly defend himself and his ministry. When Titus brought Paul encouragement and good news about the response of the Corinthians to previous issues, but also brought word of a new problem with false teachers, and Paul's tone changes here from chapter 9, and we see his exasperation as he once again has to defend his calling. Paul correctly characterizes himself as meek and gentle in Christ, but also bold when necessary. 
we see his gentleness as he refuses to retaliate against the hurt and slander against him, even though he might have the power to do it. These people mistake Paul's gentleness as weakness. These false teachers were saying, oh, he talks a good game, but he doesn't have the courage to say this stuff in person. He writes like a tough guy, but he's really a coward. And that's nonsense. Paul lets them know in writing this that he has heard what has been said about him, and he's calling out the gossip and rebuking them for listening to it. Paul builds off this accusation and basically says, Please knock it off, or you will see me really be bold in person. And no one wants that. The most serious charge, though, is the charge that Paul is walking according to the flesh. That is, that Paul is in sin in some way, and Paul fully expects to have to rebuke those who accuse him of that. He points out that, yes, sure, he is still human, and in that way he does walk in the flesh, but that the battle he is waging is not with the flesh. The weapons Paul uses are not of the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. These strongholds are not of a military type. They're not physical bastions where the enemy wages his war. This is a spiritual concept. This is a spiritual battle waged on spiritual terms, not waged with human means or effort. The weapons used in the battle we are fighting are the word of God, prayer, and for the apostles, they had the authority to drive away demonic opposition. The strongholds could be spiritual centers of demonic opposition, but I don't think that's what Paul is really talking about here. This stronghold seems to be the result of the effects of the gospel whenever the Holy Spirit breaks through the defenses of a fallen human heart to seize and subdue it to Christ. And when that happens, there's a real battle as that human sin machine now fights the sin they have instead of giving into it. And they're also fighting the world and the devil. But as we're looking at what Paul goes on to say, it really seems to be that these people are fighting a battle against their own flesh as they must destroy foolish arguments. And look at the type of arguments that Paul descri describes here. These are arguments against the truth of God, false teaching, rebellion against God, justification of sin as if it were righteous. I can't help but recall Romans 1 as I read this. Romans 1, starting in verse 18, talks about how God's wrath is revealed against men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. God's attributes are clearly seen in creation, yet natural man rejects that truth, and in so doing, they become futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts are darkened. They claim to be wise, but become fools, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the Creator. We must take our thoughts captive, not being led astray by seemingly wise arguments, but holding fast to what we know to be true from Scripture. And where are our thoughts to be held captive to? To Christ. Here's the thing about these people who are accusing Paul of being of the flesh. They sound wise. They sound knowledgeable. And they hint that there's some sin in Paul without really saying what that sin is. But what Paul laments is that in their wisdom, they're not actually honoring Christ, holding fast to his gospel, nor are they examining their thoughts in light of scripture and what Christ has given to us. The only resolution to this conflict is truth and is a return to scripture and to Christ and his gospel. And the only way we can do that well is when we are not being led astray by foolish arguments or by our feelings. 
We should always examine our thoughts and make sure they line up with truth, and we should be willing to toss out thoughts that do not line up with God's word instead of holding on to them and trying to shoehorn them into God's word. That increases our own disobedience and sin, and it brings shame on the Savior we claim to serve. Paul, being Paul, reminds them then of the truth that is relevant to all of this. If they're so confident that they are Christ's, if they truly have the Holy Spirit inside of them, the same Holy Spirit that is within Paul, they should realize that Paul is also truly Christ's, and there should be general agreement here. Seriously, as they boast about the relationship in Christ, they need to consider where they were even taught that from, and then consider how they're following after these false teachers who are teaching things that are not in line with what they were originally taught, and consider who the problem really is. After all, far from edifying the Corinthian church, the false apostles brought confusion, divisiveness, and turmoil. If they were truly of God, they would have worked to build the body, to point them away from themselves and to God, because God's goal is for our sanctification, not for our pride to be elevated. Paul has been given authority over these believers. This is part of his role as an apostle, as their father in the faith, as the one who brought them the gospel. That's real, and that's an authority given by God. God gave that authority to Paul for the benefit of these believers. This wasn't an authority given to crush them or bring them low. It was to build them up, to point them to Christ, and to continue to sanctify them. Paul will not be ashamed of boasting a little in this authority that he has been given for their own good. He isn't trying to be duplicitous by being harsh in these letters. The false teachers were claiming that Paul was strong only at a distance, that in person he was a weak fool, comparing this idea of Paul to them and claiming that they were the awesome and wise ones full of profound truths. Paul, in pointing out his legitimate authority over these believers, affirms to them that these letters, their content, the force and emphasis, is exactly the same message and intensity that Paul will bring to them in person. The Holman Christian Standard Bible renders verse 11 this way, and I think it drives the point home. Such a person should consider this. What we are, in the words of our letters when absent, we will be in actions when present. Paul really shouldn't have to defend himself or his ministry here, but he certainly isn't going to play the comparison game with these false teachers. The standard for comparison is not in another person, whether that person is saved and truly growing in grace and knowledge of Christ or not. The fact that these are false teachers making this comparison is actually sort of irrelevant because the standard of comparison is far beyond that. We're supposed to compare ourselves to Christ, our Savior. So as these false teachers play the comparison game, they simply show in one more way that they are false teachers as they're more concerned about what other people are doing or aren't doing than they are about actually following Christ. And Paul isn't going to overreach in his boasting, but these people truly are under his authority. They are legitimately within the reach of his boasting in that way. These people have a terrible time with any authority over them that doesn't flatter their own desires, but Paul won't play that game. His goal is not to gain their approval, but to gain the approval of Christ. And because of that, he's not interested in falsely pandering to them. He is their authority whether they like it or not. 
Paul isn't trying to assert his authority over people who have no relationship with them, who don't know him, and who are not under his care as a spiritual father. He's not taking credit for someone else's effort in bringing the gospel and in discipling these people. The implication in verse 15 suggests that the false teachers were trying to take credit for these people and their salvation, and they were using this stolen authority to make demands on the people, likely in terms of both money and power. Paul's hope is that as their faith increases, these people will see more and more clearly Paul's qualifications, and they will grow in their discernment as well. Paul isn't trying to build a following or extort money from the people. He wants the influence of the gospel to spread through these people. Paul's desire as he continues to minister and share the gospel is that he might be able to point to the people of Corinth and their lives that have been transformed by the gospel and thus demonstrate God's work of redemption in these people. Paul wants God to be glorified, the hope of the gospel to spread, and all boasting to be grounded in the one who gives all things. That's where all boasting belongs, in the Lord. These false teachers were commending themselves but they will not be approved by God. Just as in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes it clear that the key distinction is not whether you know Christ, but whether Christ knows you. And here he makes the distinction that it isn't whether you commend yourself, but whether God commends you. As we see how much emphasis Paul has to place here to remind them of who he is and the right he has to discipline and rebuke them, it's a reminder to me of how much we all hate being told what to do. We hate it. Yet if we can't submit to the authorities who we can see that are placed over us and placed there by God for our spiritual well-being, how can we hope to submit to God whom we can't see? How are we doing at this, ladies? As I prepare these lessons, the assaults on the clear teaching of Scripture has never been more obvious. Well-known leaders within the body are blatantly disregarding the commands of God as they strive for their own elevation and importance to gain their own influence, not to spread the true saving gospel of our Savior. It's disheartening to see how much we need these rebukes today. And yet it's also comforting to know that, even a decade or two after Christ's actual physical life, this was already an issue. Truly there is nothing new under the sun. Ladies, as you consider this today, consider where your boasting lies. Do you boast in your own abilities, even knowing that God gave you those abilities? Do you boast in your flesh? Do you see the spiritual battle around us as one that should be waged with weapons of the world? Are you spending time in prayer, in the Word, in communion with the saints, and are you actively striving with the Spirit to demolish any strongholds of sin in your own life? Ladies, as 1 Corinthians 3 says, there will be those who, while truly saved, will be saved as those escaping from a fire, as the work they have done will not be work that will survive. May we strive to honor God in all that we do, not to elevate ourselves or put ourselves forward as more than we are, but may we remember always that we are but poor beggars, showing other beggars where we have found bread. May we boast only in the Lord. And may we truly be boasting in him and not using his name to boast in ourselves. Ladies, you'll find the notes for this study under the Bible Studies tab of the website, naomistable.com, day 16, Necessary Defense.